welcome to another episode of Poetry Says. I'm Alice. Thank you so much for downloading and listening in. I'm going to talk to you today about an ode, a Horatian ode to be specific. And it's a poem that while I'm a little bit sheepish to share with you because it is yet another American poet and I always feel a little bit apologetic when I go back to the Americans because Honestly, there's enough interesting stuff happening in Australia alone that I could just focus on the work that we are writing. But I just so love this poem and it's led me into so many interesting uh, corners of poetry that I had overlooked up until this point. So I thought I'd share it with you and then we'll take a few detours into some other areas that you'll hopefully find interesting as well. So I came to this poem through a book that a good friend of mine lent me called The Cheese Monkeys, which was published uh, around about 1999-2000 by an American graphic designer called Chip Kidd. And it's a mostly fictionalized account of his experience studying graphic design at the University of Pennsylvania with a very scary teacher who he also happens to be a little bit in love with my favorite kind of story. Yeah, I absolutely am fascinated by the student-teacher dynamic and if you put that in a novel, I'm there. I'm loving it. So I really enjoyed this book and wanted to find out more about this writer, Chip Kidd, who I'd never heard of before or since. Found out he was a graphic designer. He's designed the the skeleton um, of the Jurassic Park dinosaur, that logo, that's him. He also did, if you know David Sedaris's um, Dress Your Family in Corduroy and Denim, uh, you've probably seen it there in bookshops. It's like the torso of a naked Barbie doll. But yeah, heaps, like hundreds of book covers that you would know this guy is the one who designed them. So on further investigation, found out that Chip, up until the start of this year, was married to the American poet J.D. McClatchy, who again, never heard of this guy before and sadly found out that he has only just passed away um, in April of this year. So started reading some poems by JD, thought most of them were pretty underwhelming, and then came across this one poem called Late Night Ode, which I read, and then I read again, and then I read about eight more times, and I think I've read it basically every day since I discovered it, which I never do. Even poems I really like, I will never come back to that many times, but I just adore this poem. So I'm going to read you a few of my favorite stanzas from it, and then we're going to talk about kind of what it is and and what it's um, bouncing off. So it's called Late Night Ode, and at the start, I guess this is an epigraph, it just says Horace for one it's over love look at me pushing 50 now hair like grave grass growing in both ears the piles and boggy prostate the crooked penis the sour taste of each day's first lie pretty strong start i think you'll agree uh further down we've got this beautiful stanza What good's my cut glass conversation now? Now I'm so effortlessly vulgar and sad. 
You get from life what you can't shake from it. For me, it's G&Ts all day and CNN. So I love the way he's absolutely eviscerating himself <laughs> and sharing these images of this, this aging man and his, his body that's falling apart on him. But it's the last two stanzas that I'm really, really obsessed with. Some nights I've laughed so hard the tears won't stop. Look at me now. Why now? I long ago gave up pretending to believe anyone's memory will give as good as it gets. So why these stubborn tears? And why do I dream almost every night of holding you again? Or at least of diving after you, my long gone, through the bruised, unbalanced waves. So there's more to the poem and when I started investigating why there was this epigraph, Horace 4, 1, and that what J.D. McClatchy's done here is basically rewritten this particular slice of Horace, which is, in its original form, this statement to a lover to just give up on the speaker and go and find someone younger and more attractive, which is such a great setup for a poem, you, you have to admit. I think it's really, really fascinating. I haven't read many poems with that particular set of concerns. So the original, I will try and get through as much as I can here. There's quite a few words that I'm a little bit sketchy on the, on the pronunciation. But this is the original Horace for one. Venus, again thou mov'st a war. Long intermitted, pray thee. Pray thee spare. I am not such as in the reign of the good Sinara I was. Refrain, sour mother of sweet loves. Forbear to bend a man now at his fiftieth year, too stubborn for commands so slack. So yeah, basically the same message. Go find someone younger and more attractive, please. Obviously, there are many, many differences between J.D. McClatchy's version and the original. But what is it that, if we're going to make an argument that it's a Horatian ode, what are the common factors? Again, went back to my wonderful Stephen Fry book, The Ode Less Traveled, which has a little tiny bit about the Horatian ode. And he explains that what you need for a Horatian ode is you need a direct address. So in Horace's original... He begins by addressing Venus, and in J.D. McClatchy's, he starts with that beautiful, it's over, love. And something else that Stephen Fry mentioned is that the stanzas need to be structured the same in a Horatian ode. So you can rhyme or not rhyme, but what you want to do is have stanzas of the same length that um, have some kind of uh, mirroring in their structure. One of the examples that Stephen Fry points to of a more recent Horatian ode is W.H. Auden's In Memory of W.V. Yeats. And just because I can, I'm going to throw to Auden here, just so you can hear a little bit of what that poem sounds like. He disappeared in the dead of winter. The brooks were frozen, the airports almost deserted, and snow disfigured the public statues. The mercury sank in the mouth of the dying day, Oh, all the instruments agree, the day of his death was a dark 
cold day. He's got such a fantastic voice, doesn't he? But that poem doesn't actually fit the Horatian Ode um, requirements until the last five stanzas where Auden says, Earth receive an honoured guest, William Yeats is laid to rest, let the Irish vessel lie empty of its poetry. So he's got that direct address. In this case, he's talking to Earth and... The last five stanzas very much repeat um, and mirror one another. So I've, I've always been impressed by poets who have an understanding of classical literature and can do this kind of work of rewriting these myths that have been around for so many hundreds and hundreds of years. I've always felt as if they're kind of unapproachable. I read Alice Oswald's um, rewriting of the Iliad Memorial, which is absolutely stunning. And um, also the book by Simon Armitage, where he rewrites the Odyssey. And again, was completely flawed, not only by the writing and the skill and the amount of work that would have gone into it, but also just the audacity of taking on a project like that. In... J.D. McClatchy's Late Night Ode, I think there's a more approachable project. I think it's just taking this one idea from Horace of addressing your lover and saying, you need to go find someone younger. I am past it now. Um, That seems like something worth trying. It might be an interesting exercise. And I was having this conversation last night, actually, after Sporting Poets um, sitting with... uh, Judith Bishop and Sarah Umar, who had both read for us there, and we were talking about the fact that these these myths are still relevant, and it is still um, it's still worth rewriting them for our own time and for our own experiences. And uh, there's a quote that I found from J.D. McClatchy talking about this kind of work um, from an article on the Poetry Foundation website. He says. I continue to write two sorts of poem, one that will at first seem intensely lyrical, private, even hermetic, and the other, by contrast, more open, discursive, or autobiographical. To my mind, the poems arrive from the same impulse, played at different pitches. What has changed in my work, though, is its increasingly political emphasis. I'm not interested in issues, but in the nature, responsibilities, and methods of power. Contemporary politics and ideologies are metaphors for this, as classical mythology has always been. The poet's business, after all, is not merely to describe the world, but to create urgent new myths from it and for it. Now, I guess you could argue that a myth around an aging lover telling his younger partner to go find someone else is is a fairly discreet and uh, small concern, but isn't it amazing to have a poem that that apprehends that experience in modern, understandable language? I think you'd have to agree, having heard that little bit of Horace, that it's not—it's probably not going to speak to you um, as directly, as immediately as Late Night Ode does. So I'd have to agree with J.D. McClatchy that It is the poet's business to create these new myths and to make them urgent, to make them direct and relevant to us today. 